Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a refreshed episode of Teen It Up with C and V. Uh, this is a very special episode coming off uh, a long break. We took our summer week off. The sports kind of ended. Um, but we're back. I'm with my co-host, Vladdy, again. And uh, we're actually, for the first time in about 13 months of doing the podcast, going to welcome not just one, but two guests to the show. Uh, so I'm going to throw it around first to my normal co-host, Vladdy. What's going on? How you doing, man? Um, I'm doing well. Uh, I was just telling you beforehand, I've kind of completely mentally checked out of the week. That's not good because I have a big customer government uh, visit tomorrow. So I need to, I need to strap on the big boy boots for a little bit, get through probably lunchtime tomorrow, and I will be checked out until the end of next week. Um, 4th of July, great time. But like you said, you, we've got the guests. We've got our good friends, Nick and Easton. I'll turn the floor over to you, gentlemen. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Nick, why don't, Nick, why don't you say your name and uh, state of business first? Yep, uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. Really happy to be on the show. Um, my name's Nick, and I know um, Vladdy and Connor, and they're both really smart, and I'm going to give my two cents and try to make Vladdy yell at me. Uh, how, how are you doing in your personal life? How, oh, I'm, I'm doing great. I can't wait for July 4th. I got the whole week off of work. Things are going. Things are going well for me. Good. And our fourth and final member of the crew, Easton, state your name and place of business. Uh, yeah, so I'm Easton, as you just said. Um, I'm doing well. Just happy to be here. You know, just got my opportunity. Can make the most of it. Yeah. What do you think <laughs> you can bring to today's show? Uh, I think we'll see. Um, not really sure what I bring to the table, but, you know, hopefully I bring something at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, so we got we got a decent amount of stuff to talk about. We got plenty of people to talk about it with today. Um, so why don't we just jump into it? I'm going to start with something that wasn't on the schedule, actually, um, something that just happened last night. Uh, the College World Series for baseball ended last night. LSU, in dominating fashion, uh, beats the Florida Gators in game three of a best of two out of three series, 18 to four. Um, an interesting series. Game one went to extra innings. It was 3-2 or a low-scoring game. And then followed by Sunday's 24-4 win by Florida. And then in game three, LSU wins 18-4. to uh, The bigger storylines, I think, Paul Skeens, the kind of the – I'm going to call him the consensus number one because he is, in my opinion. I don't care what scouts have to say about that. Uh, he didn't have to throw in the series. Obviously, he was uh, rumored and actually warmed up um, – to go out there in game three on short three nights rest after throwing 120 pitches to get them to the world series. He doesn't have to throw. Other than that, Florida's a young team. I think they'll be back next year. LSU, you talk about uh, the number one overall seed uh, has not made it to the college world series since 1998 until this year, Wake Forest did it. Um, and they LSU beat them. My, my more point is that is LSU was the number Number one preseason team. They were the number one team for, I think, up until the last week or two of the season. Uh, and for them to get it done, they really do show what a dominating college baseball team looks like. They're going to have the number one and number two picks in the draft. Um, they had four, four or five guys batting well above 300 in their lineup. Uh, lots of transfers. Skeens is a transfer from Air Force. Their four hitter is a transfer from NC State. Um they're, the guy who pitched on the mound last night is a transfer from UCLA, uh, so kind of speaks to the power of the portal and not just the big sports and college athletics. Um, anyone else wanted to add something before we get into some other topics? 
I think it's kind of crazy how many home runs are being hit now in college baseball. Yep. I remember like yep. 10 years ago, they changed the bats and there were zero home runs in the whole college world series. Now, like every at bat, they just pop them out. I don't know what so that, that, the balls or the bats, but it's crazy. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's go ahead. I was going to say, I, obviously I'm not the, the biggest baseball fan or anything, but I, I do tune into the big games. Um, I tuned in last night in the Wake Forest game, and granted the Wake Forest game, um, I believe that was the second game, the one that went to extra innings on the walk-off. Um, great pitching, not not a whole lot of hits, but it looked yeah. like last night, uh, granted I checked out after his 6-2 because I thought the game was over, but it kind of reminded me of the Little League World Series, you know, where just, if you, if you can hit it, it's, it's gone. So correct me if I'm wrong, but... It's, it has kind of seemed like it's turned into that this year. Like Nick mentioned, was a record for home runs in the whole World Series. It is super interesting, too, because like he said, that field, that TD Ameritrade where they play is was notoriously huge for college baseball. Uh, and like you said, Easton, they made it look like a Little League park this, mm-hmm. this the last 10 days. Um, speaks to the trend of baseball in general, the strikeout. Like you mentioned, um, Thursday night being a zero zero game for 12 innings and they're not just being strikeout after strikeout. And then you play two games where the teams combined for 25 runs each game. So, uh, just a, just a nice little topic, not much topics as we kind of, that's why we took a week off for the people, um, summertime, uh, something that happened in our off week that we probably would have talked about last week is the U S open. Um, I can't even remember who won Wyndham Clark won. um, in kind of undramatic fashion, he hits on the 18th tee. He's kind of leading all day. It's him and Rory. Rory, similar to last year, can't make a putt, it seems like. He's on the green in regulation most holes um, where he gets up and down to a good spot and he just can't make his birdie putt. Um, so, I don't know. Uh, Vladdy, what are your thoughts on the U.S. Open? LACC, too. I don't know if you want to get into that at all. Yeah, I guess I'll start with the, the off-field or off-course issues in the sense that this was – considered one of the worst u.s opens definitely mm-hmm. of our lifetime if not ever um you had players complaining about lack of atmosphere it then comes out that the lacc members bought up most of the tickets because they didn't want to mingle mm-hmm. with regular people because they, they're from hollywood and they're very important and how dare they how dare they they're uh, not from hollywood though they're, oh, that's they're, right. they do exclude the hollywood how they do yeah. exclude the hollywood people but they're from california they're very important in life <laughs> They they've probably founded a tech a tech firm or two, but you know, atmosphere was terrible. Um, the course, I mean, on day one looked like your like the Rocket Mortgage Classic. You had every, every guy was dropping six seven unders, and then I think the USGA probably said, "Hey, we can't have this happen again." And then it kind of turned into a, maybe a more stereotypical U.S. Open where guys are in and around even par. I mean, you mentioned Wyndham Clark. It was a very uneventful like you say I mean there was no really big birdies to kind of get the crowd going or or a bogey where you thought oh what's going to happen here it was just kind of green regulation two putt for par onto the next hole so incredibly boring again it's just the a dud hopefully they don't bring it back and I know what is it scheduled in 10-15 years whenever LSC is supposed to get it again hopefully they don't do that it sounds like they don't want it there the players don't want it there so maybe good can prevail um nick easton you guys you, i know you guys are you guys are more oh i've got fans, stuff so. for you i got two main things the first one the u.s open winner should always be near even par the problem with when they go super low is that a birdie doesn't do anything because odds are you're gonna part i mean you couldn't hit the ball out of the fairway to put yourself in danger which is my second point 
every hole is a birdie or a par. So you're, you're making up one stroke or losing one stroke. I feel like a U.S. Open, a bogey should be in play every hole, and a birdie should really make up a stroke, potentially two strokes at any given moment. I thought it was stupid. Like, Ricky Fowler shot minus eight the first day, and 85% of the field had no chance to catch him. Like, I, I think you need even par to be the winning score for a U.S. Open or a major to make it more exciting, where a guy's minus one, he bogeys, goes to, to even. Another guy's plus one, he's two strokes back, he can birdie and get it knotted up so quickly. I feel like this tournament was a lot of one stroke at a time. If you made par, like if you, if you made a bogey, you played a terrible hole. It was almost impossible for those good guys. So I'm gonna I'm gonna speak to that. Like that, that I think that's more on the USGA and that they had they've heard players bitching about how hard the US is open has been for the last few years, and they've made it easier. Like that course, the winning score ended up being minus ten, which is still less than what uh, Ron, John Rahm. By like two, I think John Rahm was minus twelve at the Masters. So like it's still not, and like the year before, Brookline was minus six. Like it's notoriously getting worse and worse. I don't think it was an LACC thing being too easy. I think it's a USGA trend of making the courses easier. I saw an article the other day that the average score of the last uh, five PGA Championships is the same as the average score winning score of the last five U S opens. And it's kind of cemented the two. They're only three and a half weeks apart. Like you can't, and they're both on American soil playing the same kind of events or venues year after year. You can't blend the two events. There's only four majors in golf and to make continue to make golf special in those four majors, you have to differentiate the two and make them each look different. The masters is its thing. The open overseas is its own thing. But it seems like the U.S. Open and the PGA Championship are kind of becoming one. And USA, U.S. Open's thing was it's got to play close to par, and it just hasn't over the last several years. Well, I thought last year, too, with the PGA, like Mito Pereira on the 18th hole put it in the water. Mm-hmm. I think that's what you want in a major is, like, right. chaos. I feel like this major wasn't – the U.S. Open, the Masters, like, there wasn't really any chaos. John Warren was butted and then ran the tournament. Do you guys think – uh, that Wyndham Clark, a not big name, also has something to do with us kind of going, because mm, mm, there's no history to it. Like a Kepka winning five, or if Rory had ended up winning and finally getting a, a major for the first time in nine years, I think I think a lot of people wouldn't have had the same mm, to this U.S. Open. I think if he wasn't in the – like if he wasn't always in contention, I think that they're – would have been a bit more to it, but he was pretty much leading the entire day on Sunday. It felt like, so like it seemed like a foregone conclusion from the la- the back nine, at least to me that he was going to end up winning it. I, th- I like it more when there's, there's two guys maybe tied. I think he kind of picked up a couple of strokes and it was over by whole 10. One more thing I wanted to add on the U S open before we go. And I know this has been a while, so I loved how on the 18th green and they said they were going to have them like kind of run up to it, like as they were on the putting green. And I, I don't know who the announcers was because it was not the normal CBS coverage. The U.S. Open is NBC. Uh, but he makes the comment and goes, there's all of Los Angeles here coming up to the green after like a notoriously unattended, very like corporate U.S. Open where you could like they panned out and it was maybe like 5,000 people. Like it was, it was nothing. Like it was, they were barely surrounded around. They could barely make a circle around the freaking. It looked, it looked like a good, good event. <laughs> right. 
Yeah. <laughs> like there were there is not much of a crowd difference between those two. It looked like the Spartan invitational on the 70 56 hole. 54th. 50 36, 54. Yeah, yeah. Math guy here. <laughs> I guess I, I do have one last thing, Connor. I know you mentioned this before. You said if Scotty Scheffler figures out how to put the ball, it's kind of game over for golf. I think most people kind of consensus said, yeah, he had a very disappointing major, yet he was a solo third, and he was sitting there with kind of birdie putts and par putts that he just couldn't make. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those where, again, as you say, if, if he figures it out, whether it's yips, mentally can't see the line, maybe the caddy's not helping out or the caddy should help more. I mean, he's got everything else. Yeah, it's interesting. He doesn't have a ton of win. I think he only has the players this year. Um, did he win the waste management this yeah, year? Or was that last year? Mm -hmm. Okay. So he's got two wins this year, and it seems like a down year because he hasn't won a major, but he is literally there every single weekend. I believe his Masters, he he was like sixth, I think. Uh, he won the players. PGA, he ended up being third, I think. Uh, I mean, even the Memorial, he's there second place. This past weekend at the Travelers, who the hell cares? He's right up there in fourth place. He's top four. Every single time you turn on a leaderboard, Scotty Scheffler is on it. Yep. Uh, so I think that's good on the U.S. Open. Um, there's uh, The gallery view of just being on a Zoom for this is just throwing me off so much. <laughs> yeah. uh, what's next? The NBA draft? Uh, uh, why not? Let's do it. Laddie, I kind of, I kind of want to get your thoughts okay. on just the overall highlights yeah. of it. So, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of gonna encompass maybe drafts and then the trades that we've kind of seen the last couple, the last couple week and a half, two weeks. Um, I'll just kind of go down maybe the top ten. That's really all I kind of remember because this was a terrible draft. I mean, Victor Wembanyama, the consensus number one. There was never a doubt that anything else would happen. Um. It'll be excited. It'll be exciting to kind of watch how a guy as big as him moves against NBA bodies, as opposed to like the highlights you watch where he's playing in Europe and they're in like he's just noticeably gargantuan compared to the rest of them. Um, yeah, I didn't know he was seven four. Well, he wasn't seven four a year ago, so he's he's actually grown, uh, which honestly almost might hurt him a little bit because I mean, yeah. there's I think there's kind of this point of where the human body just kind of gets way too big. And if, if there's an injury, you kind of turn into Yao Ming and you break your foot once. And thanks. Thanks for coming. We'll see you in China. So, but... so is he that elite or does he just have that much potential that makes him first overall? Cause, or is he just like a more athletic jet? I, I'd say it's a combo. I mean, he, he can handle the ball, which that doesn't happen for people that size. He can shoot. Right. Doesn't happen for people that size. I mean, He's eerily thin. Like, I mean, if you if you were to put him up against a, a Joel, I, yeah, I was gonna say I've seen videos of like guy like what six eight guys or something in Europe, yeah, like throwing the body a little bit, and he's just getting knocked around. So I don't yeah, know how that translates if it's just all potential, which makes him number one. I'm kind of seen. He's I've a freak. Seen but... that, yeah, that it's kind of like a Kevin Durant comparable, where he's this tall, skinny guy that's can like dribble and shoot from way beyond, and is super tall. Only. He's another four inches taller, five inches taller than Kevin yeah. Durant. <laughs> you have him at the arc. How are you blocking any three pointer? Yeah. You know, if he can knock it down, you know it, it'll it'll be very interesting to see. I mean, this is why he is the unicorn. The that that guy they've said is the, the most intriguing prospect since LeBron. Mm -hmm. But 
all we can do is watch. He's in, he's probably in the best spot he could have gone. I mean, Greg Popovich has had three number one picks. All three turned out to be kind of Hall of Fame talent, or, or two of them were Hall of Fame talents. This will be the third. We'll see what happens. Yeah, but Greg's done after this year, right? Uh, I mean, I, I could see this kind of extending his stay a little bit, but I, he is also older than Dirt and Rocks. and. <laughs> yeah. I thought he was so. way older than 74. I Googled it the other day. He could be. I mean, he, no, was he, coaching 30, he was coaching 30 years ago, so. Uh, that is could, crazy. He could be like your grandpa. But, yes. yeah, I mean, Brandon <laughs> Miller goes number two to the Hornets. I mean, they I think they picked for need rather than talent, which sometimes ends up as a problem. I mean, you look at the Warriors drafting James Wiseman over LaMelo because they didn't need another shooter. Stupid. Yeah, I mean, also Brandon Miller and Miles Bridges on the same team. Lots of character. Um Brandon Miller's pretty good at getting his teammates open shots. So well, Lamelo Ball is the championship exactly have the best guys. history either. Hmm? I said Lamelo Ball doesn't really have the best character um, history either. No criminal activity. But... He didn't get somebody killed or didn't beat his wife. No, <laughs> no, that was that was uh, that was the brother that's had some trouble with the law. The, the yes. one that didn't make it out in china yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> donnie to bring him home <laughs> his dad had to take him to lithuania <laughs> yeah i mean scoot goes number three to portland i think this is an interesting pick because i mean maybe you don't expect him to be there but it also kind of kind of could signal the end of the damian lillard era in portland they trade him away i mean miami's a name that has been being brought up time and time again as kind of the, the off season goes on and it could be a great time for them to kind of hit the reset button. I mean, you've got Scoot Henderson, you got Shaden Sharp from last year, Anthony Simons. They are a young team, and maybe it's time to move that kind of veteran piece for more things so that you can kind of go into a rebuild. Um, Eamon Thompson at four is kind of the, the first, I mean, he's the first pair of twins to ever go top five in the same draft, which was kind of cool to see that happen. But He's kind of more offensively gifted than his brother. His brother's kind of the defensive guy. Um, Osser Thompson to Detroit. I don't necessarily hate the pick. Um, I would have preferred someone that can shoot to maybe open the floor a little bit more for Cade and Jaden Ivey. But he is kind of that Michael Bridges, Cam Johnson type guy that Monty Williams developed in Phoenix and has proven he can develop and I mean, if Oscar Thompson can turn into Michael Bridges, it's probably a successful pick. Like, we'll see what happens. I mean, if he doesn't get a shot, I think you're looking at the Detroit Pistons playing 2000s basketball in 2023, 2024, and that's an issue. You guys, I mean, you guys are unfortunately local Pistons fans as well. I mean, do you guys have any thoughts on that? We drafted uh, another guy who can't shoot. Pretty sick. Aren't the Pistons rumored to uh, go after Cam Johnson in free agency? They are. He's a restricted free agent, though. We'll see if uh, Brooklyn uh, lets him leave. So, I mean, after I don't that, know anything about the kid, to be honest. I, I mean, again, I don't know much. I kind of, I, I kind of saw a little bit, and it's like his brother's the more ball handler, shooter, offensive guy, and he's kind of the more grit and grind defensive player. It's, of course, the yeah, it, the, the way I was understanding it from what they were saying is he's he kind of seemed more like a role player who's going to feed the ball to Kate or uh, Jaden rather than actually create space and oh, knock down shots himself. But and that's an issue when all of your guys are that type of hey we don't necessarily shoot. So again, the it's an interesting situation. We'll see what the Pistons do. Brian Mallett died. That's crazy. I, I did see that. That's a it's a good transition. <laughs> Sorry, Michigan man. Nice. No, 
Was he sick? Uh, no, he drowned. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, All right. Uh, the number six pick. Yeah, Anthony Black. I know nothing about this. Arkansas um, kid. Yeah, number seven, Bilal Koulibaly. The only thing I can really say is it's crazy that the same team in France had two of the top seven picks in, in an NBA draft in the same season. Was he on Wembenyama's team? Yes. Oh, geez. I, I think that's really cool. I mean, number eight, Drace Walker. Number nine, Taylor Hendricks. Number 10, Cason Wallace. That was kind of the top 10. I'm not going to really go much farther than that. I guess I will honorable mention Chet Howard and Kobe Bufkin at 11 and 15. Um, um, I think it's unbelievable. In, I think it's incredibly impressive that a program can have two top 15 players in the draft and can't even get to the tournament. Must be great coaching. <laughs> Wasn't that the first time that's ever happened? Probably. I mean, yes. that, that's you've got to try really hard to do that. Yeah, it's and you have an all American center, seven foot one. That's true. They they had they had a squad. It's too bad that their coach doesn't know how to do anything other than punch his colleagues in the head. <laughs> I mean I mean I, in terms of the, the draft specifically, I don't have too much more. I got, I'll quickly talk about some of the trades. Um or before I do that, I was kind of reading into this because I saw a lot of the trades go down and I didn't really understand why some values were kind of going on. And so I learned that as the new CBA, so this next year going onward, there is a, they call it a second apron, which is set at $17 million over the luxury tax limit, which is at $165 million. So from $182 million and above, there is another kind of level of luxury tax where teams will start getting punished on the sporting side, not just financially. This was kind of aimed to go at like the Clippers and the Warriors, who for the last five years have just said, you know what, we have all the money in the world. We'll pay this this financial fine if it means I have a better chance of winning a championship. And so they added this and the the penalties. You lose a mid-level exception. You are banned from including cash in trades. You are unable to accept more salary than you give away in a trade. You cannot trade your first round pick seven years into the future. And then this no, so again, you laugh, but hold you on. You can't trade for a sixth grader. <laughs> oh, no, you can't trade yours away, and here's why this is. So the the following kind of addendum to it is, if you get if you infringe on this rule and then you stay in this zone for two of the next four years, that pick that was frozen seven years into the future automatically gets dropped to thirtieth. Doesn't matter where you finish, it automatically gets bumped to the end of the first round. So I guess that's kind of their their thought processes. You can try and do the short term, whatever. We'll push the ball down the court and deal with it later, and that's their way of kind of cutting that out as an option. So I I, I do like that. Yeah, I actually like it too because mm. it's it key, takes away from it just being the MLB, and we see the same four, three four teams in the MLB. Yep. Although this year is the year which we'll get into some baseball as the summer goes on. This is the kind of the year in baseball of um, the luxury tax teams stink this year. Um, but anyways, it does keep away from that dynamic in general. So I like, I do appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I like you say, I'm, I'm hoping this kind of, it brings it more towards a quote unquote hard cap like the NFL, though it is still mm-hmm. very fluid. There is the salary cap, the luxury tax limit, and then this next, uh, this next kind of apron. Yeah. Um. Sorry about that. I'm, I'm getting my mom keeps calling me, but. Um, again, I'll quickly go over the couple trades that happened. You had Chris Paul getting dealt to the Warriors for Jordan Poole and draft picks. And like I said, this is where I initially I didn't really understand why this is. I mean, 
Jordan Poole is younger than Chris Paul. You could argue that at this point in his career, he's better than Chris Paul, and you're giving away picks to take on Chris Paul. And then that's kind of where I learned about the second apron. So this is basically the Warriors trading away uh, Jordan Poole's four-year, $130 million contract for a guy whose contract will end two years earlier, and they're basically dumping $30 million a year in salary two years from now and then three years from now. I also read the the Warriors plus minus as a team without stuff on the floor was just absolutely atrocious. So they wanted a guy who could kind of run that second unit yep. yeah, who wouldn't just get walked around like his cones in practice. That's certainly um, something that can work for them. And I think Chris Paul, I mean, everyone likes to troll him for not having a ring, but he is, I mean, let's like you go to his last stop. The Phoenix Suns never even made the playoffs before he got there led him to a final, I mean, maybe not led him, but he was a very key piece to that team making a finals and kind of being consistent players in the West. Um, I think the fit's interesting. He's not a splash brother. I mean, maybe you move Steph off the ball if all of them going to play together on the court at once, but we'll see what happens there. If they are the Warriors, they always seem to figure something out. Um, I'm sure they'll, they'll find a way to make it work. Or like you said, he's, maybe he is just a guy to come in and bring Steph's usage down because I know especially in the playoffs they were up there playing him 42 43 minutes a night and that's just not sustainable for a guy who's now on the wrong side of 33 34 mm-hmm. um there's the Bradley Beal trade um that back this is where the Suns give up Chris Paul Landry Shamet a bunch of pick swaps and then some second round picks I mean cool for the cool for the how Suns. relevant is Bradley Beal still I mean, he's pretty relevant. Not this this past year, not not this one, but the year before that, he he was averaging thirty one points a game. He was pushing LeBron for the scoring title. So he's he's certainly not a he's certainly not some like role player. He's still a he's still a great player, but I don't know. This is it, it, the Suns are weird because they've completely mortgaged their future on the next two years. If, if you even get two years, because you never know when Kevin Durant's going to say, you know what, I'm bored. I want to go to a new place to ruin a new team. So we'll, we'll see what they do there, but this is kind of just Matt Ishbia playing his little my GM mode on his Xbox. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I wish I had all the money in the world to be able to do things like that. That'd be so much fun. Yeah, he's back, gonna run out of money. Back to that trade and to, to the Warriors part it is still crazy to think on one that they gave up Jordan Poole, who's arguably better, but two, the Wizards were probably just gonna buy him out. He's gonna be a free agent anyways. Yeah, yeah, no, and. Again, this is this is a lot of uh, I'll get into this later. There's a couple other trades I saw. Again, it, it's just in my opinion, teams that are realizing you know this second apron exists now. We mm. have to start dropping significant long-term salary, or else we're going to find ourselves in a situation we don't want to find ourselves in. Oh, yeah. Um. I mean, Kristaps Porzingis trade. This one I really didn't understand. I mean, trading away Marcus Smart and getting back Kristaps Porzingis and two first-round picks. Great move by the Celtics. I mean, the Wizards are kind of just in full purgatory mode where they're just sitting there rummaging through players. They're kind of the the team that takes on dead contracts. Grizzlies get Marcus Smart to help out while John Morant is suspended for being an idiot. Um, Playing with guns. Yeah, uh, toy guns. (laughs) Toy guns. (laughs) But, no, I mean, I think Marcus Smart might be interesting because in – Memphis loses Dylan Brooks this offseason. You get kind of a hopefully better version of him. Defensive, feisty guy can guard multiple positions. And maybe you hope that he just kind of does the Dylan Brooks role without the antagonizing that Dylan Brooks does. What? I said 
be Dylan Brooks without being Dylan Brooks. Effectively, yes. Be Dylan Brooks. Like Dylan Brooks is like a he's kind of yeah, he's the Draymond Green without the success. Like that's a valuable piece as long as you don't go pissing off the other team and letting them eliminate you <laughs> in the playoffs. Especially like LeBron Smart has. Yeah. But Marcus Smart has done that in Boston. Has played that role in Boston. He has. He has. And uh, yeah, but yeah. I've, the last trade I had was kind of John Collins. And when I read this, this is like where I kind of fully understood what the second apron and how afraid teams were of this. The Atlanta Hawks traded John Collins and a second round pick for Rudy Gay. And I was kind of thinking to myself, like, is there another Rudy Gay? Like, I didn't think he was still in the league, it, which is insane. I thought he still had COVID. You got COVID? Oh, that was Rudy Gobert. Yeah, no, no, no. We're not, not, not Rudy Gobert. I'm talking like, 2010 Rudy Gay. I didn't know he was yeah. still. In, I didn't know he was still in basketball. I mean, the Jazz take on John Collins' contract. I mean, he's a good player, but I don't know. I think the, I, I kind of hope that NBA salaries kind of come back down to earth with uh, teams being less inclined to just spend outrageously now. It does sound like that's the trend. The way you're putting mm-hmm. it, and so like. Yes, but this is kind of still that initial stage where teams that had already right. signed contracts, like you look at Jordan Poole, he got his extension last year after the title. Like right now, I think teams are in the process of moving bad contracts that they already made. And then I'm, I hope the next step is, hey, like Jordan Poole is not worth $30 million a year. No. Yeah. But it that's just the sounds problem like... when you – that's when you have a $180 million salary cap for what, a 12-person <laughs> roster. Yeah. A couple of yeah. which are definitely going to be veteran minimums. Right. It sounds like they're actually enforcing the cap now to, to some extent yep. rather than it just being a suggestion. Yep. Well, it's, it's not that it was ever a suggestion. It's just they added sporting penalties as opposed to just financial ones. Because when I was, again, when I was financial and Steve Ballmer's think the richest owner in the league, what does he care? Yeah. Uh, oh, What's okay. another how, how many zeros do you want on the check, Adam? It's all going to charity anyway. How, what, what do you want me to do? So. To charity? <laughs> What charity is it going to? I don't know. Oh no, that's the NFL. Isn't the NFL kind of the NFL's all, nonprofit? All, all of their fines go to charity if like they find a player. Isn't that the thing? Well, the NFL as a whole is nonprofit. No, they got rid so of that. The PGA ago. Tour. I'm pretty sure all the pro leagues are nonprofit besides the PGA. No, I don't think so. PGA Tour is for profit now. Ones are. Let's I'm, Google it. I am Googling is the NFL nonprofit. I think they got rid of it a couple of years ago. I would have thought all the teams are for profit and the leagues are non-profit. How's that work, though? If you're an organization. NFL, yeah, they're all non-profit. NBA I'm, is a non-profit. I'm seeing the NFL gives up tax-exempt status as of 2015. I don't know. But no, that, that's kind of what I had on the NBA. Um, it, that's kind of the the dead period for a second floor free agency heats up, and then you'll start seeing kind of the – the lunatics hardening Kyrie picking teams and some of the other guys that are kind of at the, they're like the back ends of their careers. Kyrie choosing what team he's going to destroy before his career is done. Well, that'll be interesting if a team chooses him. Is he a free agent? Chosen? Well, uh, he's a free agent, yes. I think the Mavericks day is Kyrie expecting it to work out was maybe the craziest move of all time. <laughs> After he blew up the Celtics and he blew up the Nets. I don't think he's going to come in. Nuts. He kind of helped blow up the Nets. Uh, he didn't play for the Nets. He had to sit out. Yeah, he, he wouldn't get a, a he push sh- in the arm. 
Yeah, he fair. wasn't a yeah. He wouldn't get a shot, so he he sat in the stands. But ben, at like, the same time, Ben Simmons forgot how to play basketball, and KD can't carry a team. Yeah, the Nets, the Nets, the Nets need a documentary. Twenty years down the line, it's just like, how did we have this like three year run of having some of the best talent players in like in the sports history, and we we couldn't do anything, or I guess we came within a Kevin Durant like toenail for making yeah. the conference finals. Uh, again, if they were size thirty shoes, they would have yeah. they would have won a won a championship. Yeah, I'm all set with the NBA. I know, I know the NHL draft is Thursday, correct? Tomorrow. Oh wow! So I'll turn it over to you guys. I know you guys are the the hockey nistas, so we'll let you guys go to work. Yeah, NHL draft tomorrow. Um, really not a. I mean, it's somewhat interesting how this could go in a couple of ways. Number one, similar to the NBA. It's not interesting at all. I think there's a pretty consensus one-two. Um, there's yeah, been some rumblings of other guys being the second pick, but it's pretty consensus. Who At least he's going first and probably he's going second as well. Um, Connor Bedard, I've talked about him ad nauseum on this show. He's the best prospect since Connor McDavid. Um, and then a guy right down the road playing for the University of Michigan, Adam Fanantilli, is going to go second. And then kind of once you get to three is where – there's a lot of possibilities. Um, there's kind of a consensus top four players, I'd say, uh, with the Swedish Leo Carlson and then the Russian uh, Mativ Michkov uh, being the fourth. Uh, I've heard Michkov is like maybe as good as Bedard, maybe the fourth best of those four, depending on who's seen him enough. No one's really seen him because no one can really get to Russia to watch him play. There's not a ton of scouting on the kid. He's considered to be the best Russian prospect since the Malkins and the Ovechkins of 15 to 18 years ago now. Um, I don't know. I've seen him as low as the Red Wings picking him at nine, and I've seen him as high as two. Uh, I don't know if you got what you guys have seen on Mitch Koff. He's kind of the biggest storyline, I think, of this draft. Yeah, he's just kind of a giant question mark. I think he's kind of like Kirill Kaprizov where – He's, he's more, even a bigger question mark because he's still got two years left in Russia. And with the whole war and everything, Russia's been banned from the uh, World Juniors, so there's not really any scouting report on him. It's just kind of like we've seen this guy in the past. He's nasty. His ceiling could be as good as Bedard, but also we haven't seen him play in, what, two years? So, I don't I know. I think the contract situation is interesting. Mm-hmm. I think he goes number five because of his contract situation. I think without the contract, he goes three. But I think Montreal at five is kind of a good fit for him because Montreal's got so many young, exciting players. They can kind of build their fan base around and then hope hypothetically once they're starting to turn the corner, you bring in Mitchkov, 22 years old. He should be NHL ready immediately, come in. You know, if he lives up to a ceiling, he's a point-of-game player right away. And now he's really pushing you towards that playoff uh, that playoff spot. I think the team's drafting higher, the top four. I think might stay away because they need something to build their fan base around in yep. Columbus at three. Right. Maybe they would have taken Mitchkov, but they can get Carlson, have him here this year or next year, not have to wait four years for him to show up. I think it does a lot for your rebuild, does a lot for your team, does a lot for your fan base. Yeah, I don't see I him agree. falling past six. Um, Arizona's at six. I don't see him falling past that. 
because uh, I, I honestly don't think Arizona knows what they're doing. They don't even know where they're playing um, in two years. But uh, yeah, but I, I think Arizona's competence is kind of fits into the first four teams uh, to Nick's point more so than Montreal does, and that they're I, I think they'd be a little wary of taking a risk like that when they need a face per se. Yeah, I don't know. I just I don't think he's fallen past six necessarily. Is all I'm just all I'm saying. <laughs> I can yeah, see San Jose taking seems... them at four, really. I, I think they're kind of just saying, screw it, we're going to rebuild. They just traded Timo Meyer. They're going to trade Eric Carlson for some picks. Matt Vay's not going to come in for two more years. Like, why not take a, a high prospect right there that you're not going to get for two years? Get a couple younger prospects um, in those trades, a couple picks. Um, maybe some some younger prospects are t- starting to turn the corner, and then you got a star around uh, upcoming talent. My problem with Mitch, uh, too, is – since he's not that big, you're you're hoping he lasts four years without getting, you know, a serious injury. Then he's still coming over. I think he's like 5'10", 170 right now. So, like, is he gonna even going to be big enough to really survive in the NHL? Obviously, he's good enough. But, like, you, there is a lot of wear and tear in your body. You kind of see it in the playoffs. Jack Hughes, you know, during the regular season, doesn't get touched. Playoffs, you play Matthew Kachuk seven times in a row. You have to be built for that. And I think that there that could definitely be a reason Mishkov might fall. Is that four-year weight plus is his body built for the NHL? If he could survive three or four years in the KHL, he can survive the NHL. That's all I'm going to say. The next biggest storyline, I think, for this draft is the Americans. Um, It's probably the best American draft since 2019, my favorite NTDP American draft. Um, There's going to be as many as three Americans in the top ten. There could be two in the top five. Uh, Will Smith uh, is kind of the consensus fifth best player. I've seen him as high as three, um, depending on what you like. He's a nice big center. Uh, he's second all time. He broke Austin Matthews and Jack Hughes' points record um, at the National Development Program, along with his buddy Gabe Peralt, who broke his record, has the most points all time in the program. Um, he's a guy I think I see somewhere in the eight to 15 range. He's a name that's been thrown on a lot for the wings as he's kind of a goal, smaller, skilled goal scoring guy. Something that the Red Wings desperately need um, is goal scoring and something that can put the puck in the net. Um, Larkin being your high, I think Larkin was the only guy that scored above 20 goals last year, um, which is kind of unacceptable. Um, so they do kind of, this is kind of me feedbacking the American point of the wings pick. I would, I wouldn't mind a goal scorer, something, someone like a Peralt just because of that um, need. Um, but there are a lot of really good defensemen. Uh, the Will Anders, Swedish guy, I really like. The Austrian kid, um, divorce, no, not Dvorsky. What's his name? I can't think of his name right now. He, I've seen him go as high as five to eight. Probably won't be there. Uh, that's kind of why I haven't really put him in my mock drafts. Um, but I don't know. Red, Red Wings will jump into it. What do you guys think for the Wings? I think it just kind of depends on who falls. Um, I know Nick loves Matthew Wood. I, I don't think I'd mind seeing him there. He's a big body. He can score a lot. Um, after Nick mentioned his name, I did go watch some highlights of him, and he looks pretty pretty filthy. Uh, he kind of reminds me of a Rasmussen, but actually scores yeah. not on the power play. Um, can actually Rasmussen gets to play the power play? Well, Rasmussen, when he was drafted, had like 50 goals, but 40 of them were on the power play. But anyways, I couldn't... yeah, going, going back to Peralta, I think he, he's a stud, and I, I wouldn't be like I wouldn't be upset if the Wings took him at nine. 
he doesn't necessarily fit an Eiserman prospect, a super undersized skill guy that doesn't really seem like he has any kind of two-way game. He's also an American, which we seem to not like to take. Uh, so <laughs> that, that's why I see us not taking him because um, it's kind of the Eisman way to do the least predictable thing. But mm-hmm. I don't uh, think there's any way we take a D, though. I think the fan base would be a little frustrated. if I, I think it's that you need a defenseman, too. The decor is not good enough at all. Um, but you kind of of the last four years, two of your big prospects in Sider and Edmondson are big, def- like, stay-at-home franchise defensemen. That to take another one, I think, especially when not a lot of defensemen go in the top ten in general, um, would kind of frustrate a fan base. I'd like to see a defenseman. Uh, we might be moving into this, but with the Revving second pick, number 17, if they do keep it and don't trade it for an established player, I like that Axel Sandin Pelica uh, out of Sweden. He's a, a little guy, but he's pretty offensive. I think that he would pair well with uh, an Edvinson, who's a little bit bigger, maybe not as skilled of a skater, but can play a more shutdown NHL role. And you have Pelica out there kind of quarterback in the power play uh, second unit behind cider running the offense uh, from the blue line. So do you want to keep 17? I guess is the next thing. Now they bring if, it they, if, question. if Ottawa, if Ottawa send it and right give now, me the brink it in a heartbeat yep, says, says, says all you got to do is give me 17 um, and a fourth and you can sign to bring it for eight by 8.5. Are you saying yes to that? hundred no. percent in a heartbeat. I don't think I can break it. In a single heartbeat. Less than. All right. So uh, I agree with Easton. So go into why you wouldn't want to, Nick. Shut up. (laughs) I think. uh, No, no, you're betting lead off now. I think the Brinkett, my issue with him is he's a good player, but is he actually going to make your team that much better? Because he was in Chicago, he was on a line with Kane, who's obviously puts up a ton of points. He goes to Ottawa, and he had a decent year, but he had, like, what, 65 points in 75 games on a pretty solid Ottawa like an Ottawa team that had a lot of talent um, up front. I think my issue with him is come playoff time and see the type of guy where if the Wings make the playoffs, he's going to carry you, you know, put up points or see another Goudreau where he might have a great regular season, but come playoffs, he's not going to stand out as much because guys are just going to run him out of the building. I'd rather see them trade for maybe someone a little bit more established uh, as a higher-end guy. Um, obviously, it depends who's available. But I think you can probably get someone better with 17 and maybe a second than giving up 17 for the Brinkett, especially 8 by 8 with his body. I think he could break down, get hit a lot, break down in a hurry, being undersized. I think it's a bit of a Only risk. 24. Yeah, but he's, how tall is he? Like 5'8", 180? 5'9". You get, you get pushed around a lot out there. I think uh, – I think it's definitely in the back of your mind with an undersized guy that his career definitely could be shortened. I I don't disagree with the the point of the player of the Brinkett and that like is he really uh gonna be a hoist the reason you hoist the Stanley Cup? No, but he's gonna be the reason you make the playoffs from the roster they have right now. They can't score. They don't have any sexy firepower guy that could put the back of it. Puck in the back. You need a goal scorer. Every team has a goal scorer. Whether that's the mm-hmm. reason they wouldn't come playoff time, maybe not. But to win in the NHL and to get to the playoffs, teams have goal scorers. Look at Vegas. Vegas is a great example. 
Jonathan Marks or so, do you think he's the greatest player ever? Do you think he's a, a put-me-over guy? He's an undersized guy that scored 12 goals in 16 playoff games. You need those kinds of guys that can, when it's all said and done, no matter how they play physically, no matter if they get pushed around, they can score. Debrinkit has proven that he can score. Yeah, if he had 40 with, with Kane and then he dropped off for 32 last year in a, lim- a shortened season with Ottawa. But guess what? That's still as many, if not might be a goal or two more than your leading goal scorer had last year in a down year for him. You need that. That's what this team needs right now. Not saying he's the best player or whether eight, eight years is he's going to live out that contract, but you need a goal scorer. And I don't disagree that maybe you can do better. Maybe you can get a William Newlander for a first and a second instead of a first and a fourth. But you need that type of player. And if the deal's there, that has to be done. I agree. But my other my other thing against it is I don't think the Revens are in a position where they're even close to the playoffs yet. And I think you look at March is so he scored a lot of goals, but he's on a line with you got Eichel out there, you got Mark Stone, you got Shea Theodore on the power play. You have all these studs where he might be the fifth or sixth best player, but he's going to put the puck in the net. I think the break it comes in and he's probably your number two forward. Is he the type of guy that can carry a line or is he the, more of like the number two player on the line who stands out front and he can bury the puck when someone gets it to him? And then if you put him on a line with Larkin, now you're going to have a huge drop off in talent afterwards. I think. You look at it this year, you played it with Stutzel, who's a 90-point guy, Kachuk, who had 35 goals, uh, Giroux, and then Debrinkit was their third-leading scorer, or fourth-leading scorer. I think on the wings, you don't have those three guys. I would argue Larkin may be above Giroux, but he's not a Stutzel or Kachuk in his own. And I think that you need talent with Debrinkit. I'm not sure the wings are in a position to do that yet. I think they're in a better position to hopefully either find someone who can be the number one guy on the line or wait until their team is kind of turning the corner to then pick up the brinket. I think they're still two or three years away from really threatening the play. Then you're looking at, this is a seven year rebuild with Eiserman. Like it's got to turn, it's got, you got to make the move eventually. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like the, 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 the tigers are kind of in this spot right now. You have to do something. You can't just be mediocre forever. They're not all going to land. You can't draft – in no sport can you draft every single player. And Only the Tampa Bay Lightning have actually done that. No other team that I can think of is just purely draft picks. It, you have to eventually make that signing. I don't care if it's this year, but, like, the, I, I think the point of being like, oh, we're not ready in two years is just a, a moot point because I don't think the Brickett's going to – yeah, he might live, not live out an eight-year deal, but in two years from now, is he not going to be able to score all of a sudden? Like, no, and that's the reason why you, when you have all these assets, you don't do it. I think it's just like, it doesn't make sense. Eventually you have to make that move. You're, you, so you're just going to wait on a hypothetical situation on a hypothetical guy two years from now. now I, I just, it doesn't make, you have to eventually put your foot down and make the big nuts move. Oh, I agree. I'd, I'd rather, if they're going to make a big nuts move, I'd rather see it be for a better player if one comes available. If one doesn't okay, so come available and at 17, I can, I can do it. Yeah, but you, you, can't be, you can't be waiting this whole time. You got a 25 year old kid who scored 30 goals for the most part in his career, and the Wings haven't had anyone who scored 30 goals. He's from Detroit, so I don't, I don't think he's going to have any reason not to want to play here like he does in Ottawa. And I mean, he, he, he's a proven goal scorer, and we don't have that. So he's young. You're going to sign him to a long-term contract. He's going to play with Larkin and Raymond on the first line. He's going to score. He's not just going to disappear and like out of out of thin air. Um, the only time he's been in the playoffs, he's had six points in nine games. So he's not necessarily disappearing. Maybe he can those later rounds and he breaks down a little bit. But 
And that's that's just great at that point. I mean, every player's breaking down at that point. You saw Matthew Kachuk played with a broken sternum. You see all these guys who have injuries come out. So you, you got two first round picks this year. You, you keep the first one if you can, and you trade the second um, for DeBrinket. By the time you get to that 17th pick, it's only like a 55% chance that guy plays over 100 games in the NHL. Yep. So I, I think point. you might as well trade it for for a guy. These first round picks in hockey outside of top 10 aren't really they're not they're not locks. So I understand Nick's point that maybe Debrinka himself is not necessarily is slightly overrated because I also think he is. Um, mm-hmm. And he's great. Control is a great comparable. Uh, and look what Columbus did this year after signing him. Um, they were in the Bedard sweepstakes. But I just think the premise of of not doing it because not getting a proven goal scorer because we're not ready for another two or three years when we've been saying that for fucking eight years is asinine. And it's such a Detroit sports thing. And it's why Scott Harris and the Detroit Tigers need to do something instead of letting these dead bodies play baseball every single night. No, I'm with you. I know who's a player I would have preferred to see the Wings go after over to Brinkett is up here, Luke Dubois. No, he's a cancer. Locker room cancer. I think he's a cancer. I think you got to you got to exit this Dylan draft Martin. with either a Debrinket or a Nylander. And I think without either of those, it's a bust. I think you need a score. You need someone that can score. We haven't had someone that can score in this like bad era. I know that's because we're a bad team. Bad teams can't typically have trouble scoring, but but is there are people not scoring? Like if you pick up Dubois or Debrinket, are they actually are they going to still score that thirty goals? Or someone's got to score. That's your that's that's a Debrinket on a line with Larkin will score thirty goals next year. He had twenty seven on a line with Drew last year. Drew's washed. Drew had points in Larkin, I bet. Doubtful. I'll give you. I'll give you numbers right here. All right. While you guys are looking, I have an interesting question to kind of slander our uh, our favorite team to slander. So, Connor, I, I noticed you said this Fantelli kids from Michigan. Mm-hmm. What is this like the seventeen millionth lottery pick in the last two years, and they can't make a Frozen Four? They can't win in the Frozen. Yeah, they can't four. win they made the fro- They made. They're too like, young. They, made, they lost in the semi semifinals last year, and they. The absurd year was two years ago when they had seven first round picks on one team and they lost in the finals. They had, they had four of the top five five picks. picks. <laughs> but going yeah, going going back to Fantilli too, I yeah, I mean he's a locket too, I think. And if Bedard wasn't in this draft, it would be the Fantilli draft. I think he's an absolute stud. And I mean Anaheim, you know, they lost out on I think Crosby last time and they lost out on Bedard this time, but I think they're going to be very happy with Fantilli. I think he's going to be an absolute beast. Uh, he quietly had like this, the 60 points in 32 games was quietly the best college season since Jack Eichel, like eight years ago. Yeah. 65 um, points in 36 games. And he's like, not even known as like a, he's kind of the, the prospect profile. I mean, is he's a big, tough two way forward. Yet he had one of the most offensive like seasons. And yeah, I, I honestly see him as like, in the, like the next Matthew Kachuk, I I like that. I did I did a little research real quick. Dylan Larkin seventy nine points. Claude Giroux seventy nine points. Oh. <laughs> How many games? 
Uh, Larkin played 82 for 80. And Giroux played 82. Larkin's better. Larkin's better. <laughs> no, he would have got shut out those two games for sure. Tough scene, Nick. <laughs> I think what I took from this great hockey debate is Nick is a very big kind. He's, he's, he loves the body in the NHL player. Except the guy's yeah. not he built. Tr- he trusts the Iser plan. No, it's not no, about I don't trust the Iser plan. Saying, he's plan not sucks. saying the Iser plan. He's just saying he doesn't trust undersized kids. He need he needs some some thickness. He he needs some he needs he needs some meat on the bone. That's what you I can have some undersized guys, but you need to have guys who are big and can still score in the come playoff. Yeah, you need you need the Bash brothers around him to protect him. We don't need Dylan Larkin to be our toughest guy. Yeah. No, dude, we have Adam or we have Michael Rasmussen as our toughest guy. Who was the guy he, that he used to fight everybody? Guy. Who was the one that used <laughs> to fight Giovanni Smith. Yes. Dude, he was so bad. <laughs> you gave him up for nothing. I would have kept him. Drum on the fourth line. Ryan Reeves. <laughs> Just let him fight. Ryan what, Reeves like, around? actually play a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Smith is okay. He can hang on the fourth line eight minutes a game. Except they're not Adam Ernie. Yeah, if I see another year of Adam Ernie and uh, – Pious suitor, I'm gonna kill myself. <laughs> Ernie's a UFA, isn't he? I hope so. I hope Pui suitor, Pious Pui, whatever the hell it is. I hope he's he's. I hope he's no longer on an NHL roster. If he's your second line secondary scoring guy for the fourth season in a row, you just can't like that's that's it's like the Tigers throwing out Nick Maton every freaking Sunday night so he can drop 17 more ground balls. Hey, not Which, anymore. Maton's gone. Good. Which is a UFA. Your sixth leading goal scorer from last year, though? That's Pia Suter. <laughs> How many points do you have? 40? 24. Oh, no. <laughs> the Red Wings are in the. He's the sixth most goals, 10th most points. Didn't he get hot oh. at one point, though? Didn't he well, go like he got a... hot? It could not have been for very long. No, I'm thinking of Kubalik. How many like goals a... did he have? Like 15? Oh, close 14. Was it like a Spencer Torkelson kind of hot? Got, he, he was there for about eight days, and then he kind of forgot how to play the sport again. Dude, that's another – we could get into Torkelson all day. That's going to be an all-time, all-time number one overall bust in sports. Like, that's one that's one they'll look back and talk. Although, Casey Mize, he might never play a professional baseball game again, so maybe he will be too. The Tigers <laughs> could have two in, like, what is it, 2019 – or 2018 and 2020, two in three years, number one picks, that when you're making all-time – Busts number one overall in any sport, they could be on it. Both those guys. The one thing I'll give them for the Torkel bomb is uh, at least his somewhat was during COVID, so the season was shortened. Maybe someone comes out of the woodwork to become that first overall pick over him late, later in the year. But, yeah, he, it's, he was awful. He tries to hit the ball over the fence, but he doesn't really hit the ball very often. He's got 16 home runs in 200 games. I heard Valenti say on the radio. Oh, that's not a power him? hitter. Let, let's get him a college bat. Can we get him a college yeah. bat? We might have to. He won't be able to hit the ball. Is the issue <laughs> in the I form of a tennis stop. racket? He's a big barrel. <laughs> it's a good thing we got Javi Baez making what 50 million a year, raising the price of hot and sweaties. 25, 25. Hot dude, Javi Baez. The sole reason hot and ready's are no longer five dollars. <laughs> well, you, this is this is how you know this team sucks. Fifty-five of the hundred and fifteen 
million payroll, 55 of the hundred. So just under half, right, right around 40% of that, of the payroll is on Javier Baez and Miguel Cabrera. At least Miguel Cabrera earned his contract. Baez, I mean, I, I love watching the, the clips where like the ball bounces 10 feet before home plate and he's still out there swinging. Yeah. I like that they have a home run tracker at Comerica for Miguel Cabrera. <laughs> it hasn't updated in two years. Yeah, they probably didn't have anyone change the number. They probably just Dude, it's, it's been at 501 for probably a full season now. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't find the number two when he hit his home run there running around the, the stadium. Milestones has been let go. <laughs> It's just taunting him too. He's sitting on the bench, not playing every game. He's looking up at. Man, they, they had to get rid of the guy. They had to get rid of the guy who's changing the numbers so they can pay Baez. <laughs> yeah, we well, gotta pay Baez for three more years. Well, and then you want to <laughs> yeah. add in another. You want to add in another twenty twenty ish, twenty two ish. So now you're looking at seventy five of the hundred and fifteen is on Eduardo Rodriguez, Javier Baez, and Miguel Cabrera. Eduardo Rodriguez was great for one month and has not played any baseball outside of that the last two seasons. Hey, good for you. I mean, do we want to go over to the debate topic we had at the beginning? I think I think it's I think it's fun. Yeah. Introduce it to the to our audience. So for those who, for the longtime listeners, you know, in the dead period, we like to kind of come up with some interesting content because there is no interesting content around it's it's all just free agency offseason stuff and trash tigers baseball so the the way i'm going to phrase this question i know the first time i asked it to you guys it was with um it was with a couple of words i'm going to phrase it in a different way maybe it changes you guys' answers which child prodigy is going to be under more pressure to succeed charlie woods or brownie james I mean, I think it's, it's a lazy one. Yeah, Easton, you can take this one. I think it's Charlie Woods by a mile. Oh, idiot! Never mind. Really? <laughs> wow! Really? I think it's wow. Charlie Woods. You see, Bron, dude, Bronny's not even the best kid on his own team or yeah, on, on his family. Yeah, LeBron James and basketball. To be fair, I think part of basketball is such a bigger sport that like you, he's been in the in the media since he was in like third grade. Charlie Woods, like he comes out once a year for the PNC and then he disappears again. Dude, I feel like I see way more. Charlie Woods stuff than Bronny online. I mean, granted, uh, granted, LeBron James. LeBron James said, uh, "Bronny James is really good." Then suddenly he was a five star the next day. But aside from that, star. he's a four star right now. But he went back to a four. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the one thing I was gonna say, and I don't know how this directly correlates to maybe quote unquote pressure, but Bronny James will make it to the NBA. Like that's a given. There's no guarantee Charlie Woods ever gets a PGA Tour yep. card. So, Dude, he's like already a scratch, though. But yeah, no, I, I, I see that. My point is that he's kind of Bronny is basically there. He's already we already know he's going to a Power Five Division One school to play basketball and is a top recruit in his grade. Like we know that for a fact. Charlie Woods is 14 years old and is like the 32nd best 14 year old in Florida. Like to me, to how do you know that? Pressure, <laughs> how do you know that? <laughs> I I watched a lot of sports. Uh, to to me, part of the pressure is to actually be playing at a high level to warrant said pressure. And I think it's kind of already established that Bronny James will be playing at a higher level. And thus, once you take a step up in its own nature of stepping up to a higher level, regardless of who your dad is, there's going to be more pressure and more expectations. And I think that 
it's just a fact that Bronny James will get there as opposed to Charlie Woods. It's it's a hypothetical. I think another argument. But do you think uh, do you think the difference lies in their age though? I mean, if we're five years down the partially, road, and partially, partially, Charlie Woods there, yeah, there's is definitely some... to uh, what I don't I don't even know the best school Stanford. For... Yeah, Stanford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think then it's it's maybe a more level playing ground or possibly? Because I mean, if if we're looking at it five years from now, or they're the same age, and one or say Charlie's going to Stanford for uh, golf, he's one of the top recruits, or say even even with um, Bronny James, then where do where do you think? Um, but then I think Nick's Nick's point comes into play in that basketball, college basketball gets way more attention that there's naturally just going to be more of a spotlight on the sport in general. And yeah, that's him, true. Then there's no spotlight in college golf. So even if he brings this large crowd or this large audience to college golf, it's only going to be fractional to what the already established college basketball spotlight would be. Yeah. I think yeah, that's true. Cool. And Bronny James is going to be a first-round pick or a lottery pick just because LeBron's going to go to whatever team he goes to. Yeah. I also think, I don't think that ever a very happens. easy thing, in my opinion, for this. I think a lot of people hate LeBron. I don't think very many people hate Tiger. I think Tiger, like, yeah. obviously he went through some shit, but, like, Tiger's a very, like, respected, like... Which is absolutely crazy, because Tiger literally cheated crazy. on his wife, has DUIs, and, like, was addicted to painkillers, and what's what's LeBron do? Just it's absurd about that, reading like, a book? It is so absurd that he's is the most beloved and obsessed over athlete when he... Like, in general, as a society, we ostracize people who cheat on their wives... We ostracize addicts. Um, we ostracize people who do drugs and drive. <laughs> and he's established doer of all of those, and yet he is still the most beloved. <laughs> I agree with that. Where LeBron, which is my point with LeBron, and I can't stand LeBron, but he is like uh, at least on face camera in the spotlight. Married man, family man. Hasn't really been like ever caught cheating, cheating, doing drugs. Uh, made it like, out of the hood. Made it out of the hood, like brags to riches story, and is like still consensually hated, even though he <laughs> yeah. like is the American dream. So here, here's kind of a, a debate on the debate. Do you think Bron's more hated because just he, he's kind of corny, like with the yes. with the whole um, media or everything, or do you think he's more hated because he essentially? people see him as starting the super teams. Uh, I think it was the super team, but like now that that, I think the Lakers super team wasn't really a thing. I think it was more the Miami thing. People. It was, yeah. Before. Miami is what I meant. And that's 11 years ago now. So 13. I think it's now he's just very, very corny. And I think it's also like, you never heard Tiger Woods come out and like share his opinions on anything. Really. He just basically was a golfer. I think LeBron, because of how good he is as a basketball player, I think he thinks of himself as being this super high up, like intellectual for all these things too. And I think that's where, I think like, that's part of the times though. Yeah, I feel like that's part of the sport too. Like basketball, you can like actually shit talk guys. Like it's it's competitive more so. It's no, but even team versus team about off the court. Yeah, no. Like, um, even, like uh, it's part of the times, but like you don't really see like like a Tom Brady. You never really heard him come out and like share his opinions on on many things. But then you like LeBron. Every time there's anything that pops up, like he he is gonna be the voice that like steps up and says something. And I think by doing that, you ostracize people because like different groups are not gonna agree with what you're saying. And then I think right. people are gonna root against him. So now Bronny comes up, and it's like 
well, he's only going to be the NBA because his dad and all these people are going to root against it because, like, this is an extension to LeBron. I can root against this guy for sports. I know LeBron's going to be good. Maybe this kid sucks, and I can say, well, look how bad. Look at how, what this did to LeBron's legacy. I think the uh, the point of the the liked versus not liked as a public figure as far as their reputation as athletes is a great point, to be honest. I think that's, that is a huge point, and in how you view them is how you're actually going to have some kind of interpretation of who their son is or will be. So uh, we mentioned the media thing. We're going to add a debate to the debate to the debate. Is Bronny James going to be a bigger college? I don't know. if we, I'm not going to call it star because I don't think this is comparable, but maybe in terms of the coverage he's going to get, him or Zion, where is the media going to be more kind of – I mean, we saw what Zion was. Do you think Bronny James can do something similar, if not greater, between the L.A. market and him being LeBron's kid in college? Or is it the it's fact that he's not as good as Zion was in college, so maybe there won't be as big? It'll be Bronny. I'm gonna say, I think I'm, Zion, when he got to college, it was – yes, he was a name because of all his high school dunk packages, but he didn't really become like this big ordeal circus until he established himself as a, as a college player. Mm-hmm. Like It wasn't like you had ESPN going to his first game, following him everywhere he went. The second Brownie steps into a USC uniform, everywhere he goes will be a media circus because <laughs> LeBron will be there. This is the most hyped up like youth prospect in, probably ever. He's probably one of the people who I would say started the whole like high school, like youth sports is like popular type deal where people are going to record his games in third grade. Like wherever he goes, will be a circus just on the hope that LeBron James is there and that maybe he ends, LeBron ends up being the next LeBron James. I think he'll be a circus versus Zion established himself and then everything followed. I agree with that. I think it's Zion personally. I think, I think it's, Zion. I think maybe, I think maybe early on, the LeBron fact, the LeBron's kid factor will be the deciding factor for the first say until January. But once you get into the actual season and USC is like a nine seed and Duke's the number one team in the country and Zion's the, the best number one pick since LeBron. And he's already this like came in and was somewhat this like crazy dunk package guy. And he's doing special things on the court every night as opposed to Bronny could be like the seventh guy off the bench that I think come February, it'll die out. And the Zion, the continuedness of the Zion mania will be more. That is also a very good point. Yeah. I think it's Zion and to go on with Zion. I mean, he was ESPN was following him around before he committed to Duke and whatnot. Um, I forget who I don't forget who was the other sick prospect in that class, but there was three of them. It was Reddish, Cam Reddish. Garrett, well, yeah, no, yeah, he was, yeah, yeah. He was third out of the three. Well, yeah, right. I was gonna, I was gonna add to the Zion, um, on why they're also following him so much. Is that what Duke team was what probably the greatest recruiting class of all time? Yeah, it, it was I mean, one, two, three, and fifteen with Tyus Jones in the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but yeah, I, I remember hearing about Zion and like how when we were in high school too and like yeah he doesn't have the name he doesn't have the, his last name's not james so like i don't know i, I feel like he, he's he's bigger kind of where are you going man <laughs> he got her froze kind of left us oh, he, left, he left the wi-fi zone i know yeah. he probably went on his walk or went to go pick up the mail this is this i was not prepared for this so i mean i don't have much more to kind of talk about i know we kind of glossed over it at the beginning but it is the 4th of July. You guys got any fun flames you want to share with the people? 
going up north. Um, hopefully, hopefully I'll do some golfing. Uh, big news out of my golf game. I shot a 40 on the back nine the other day, so I'm pretty pumped up. Uh, was a bogey on 18 away from a 39. Attaboy. But, um, yeah, hopefully just can carry that momentum into some more golf. Uh, looks like Connor's kitchen is back, but no Connor. <laughs> back. <laughs> Where did you go? I just looked up and you're outside. I did. I had to get my water bottle from my car. <laughs> <laughs> Are you that thirsty? Finish grab um, Nick, your plans for the fourth? Uh, I'm going up north uh, to my friend's cottage. It's going to be super fun. And then I have the whole week off of work, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to golf a few times. I already got got some stuff in the works for that. It'll be a good time. What about you? Um, up north, I know last year was kind of the first time I'd ever really seen a kind of a Michigan up north 4th of July, and it was amazing, and I'm ready to do it again. It's nice. Are we not talking about sports anymore? Uh, we kind of we got to the point where we didn't really talk about 4th of July plans. So, Connor, your 4th of July plans. Not much, man. Uh, I'm going to be up north to the 4th. Got the whole week off. Gonna play some golf. <laughs> I'm just trying to sound like everybody else because I'm doing the exact same thing as everybody else. So. Are you also shooting 40s like Easton? No, I'm more in the 50s kind of guy. But there you, you go. Know, I, I try. That's my, that's my boy. Um, anything else you guys want to talk about? No, I was gonna actually. I was gonna try and cut this before we got to the rambling stage because. The, with four of us now rambling with two is one thing, but you get to four and that's just, that's a snowball effect. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of sign us off with as a go green to anyone else who wants to get the last word. Hit them hard.